had virtually lost my voice. I had, like, beyond laryngitis. Here comes Stassi! He's got Gucci! He shoots! He scores! And once again, the Pioneers are going to be lords of the ring! What's your process? How do you go about making sure that the audience can see what you're saying? When I was given the gig back then, the, the guy who hired me actually said, you know, we want you to be like Dennis Miller. I, yeah. I used to joke around that, hey, if I ever made it, you know, national TV like ESPN, yeah. you know my first gig will be like the Chainsaw Championships. <laughs> People either loved you or hated you for no apparent reason. Um, I couldn't wear a baseball <laughs> hat. I, even to this day, I barely wear a baseball hat. Say to business people, yeah, I guess know your audience, yeah, um, but also be yourself. I did musicals and, and things like that. I've never lost that bug. Yeah, um, you know, my aunt was a, a big time Hollywood writer. Uh, wrote the film Fools Rush In. Did I call it a puck or a ball? Did I say it right? Did I? Welcome to the Story Driven Podcast, where we talk to people about how they use storytelling in their jobs. Hi, I'm Michael Collins of Be Story Driven, and today we'll be talking with Jay Stickney, the play-by-play sportscaster for DU Hockey. He's been with the Pioneers for 16 years and has had the good fortune to announce not one, but two of their national championships. We discuss what it's like to connect to an audience over the radio, the best and worst college hockey towns, and Jay's stint as a TV actor here in Denver, where we find out who was more fun to hang out with, Scott Baio or Dick Van Dyke. We may even get some impressions of broadcasting legends Keith Jackson, Marv Albert, and of course, Harry Carey. But before I turn Jay loose, I'd like to mention that we're recording today's podcast at Shift Workspaces in Denver, Colorado. Shift is a shared workspace community that's more like an office spa. There's a workout studio for yoga and boot camps. There's always snacks available, fresh fruit, coffee, tea. It's awesome. The bathrooms are nicer here than at a resort hotel. I'm serious. Go to shiftworkspaces.com for more information about co-working, desks, and offices. Okay, so without further ado, here's your story-driven podcast with Jay Stickney. Now, was this something early on? You're like, that's what I that's what I want to do. God, pretty much. I mean, I I was you know really into sports like a lot of kids were, but you know, you, I I knew from about the age of twelve or thirteen that you know I wasn't getting much bigger. Um, <laughs> You know, I thought for a while I might be able to go to the next level in tennis or baseball, but uh-huh. uh, both those kind of drowned out by the time I was 15 and I, I got into girls and other things. Um, <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, so I think even about 15, maybe younger, you know, being a sportscaster is pretty much what I wanted to be. Yeah. Um, I didn't know till later on probably that it wasn't so much like the broadcast news kind of even sports center sort of thing. I always wanted to do the play by play. Yeah. I always loved that kind of live without a net sort of feel. Or... And that was something that you would do now when you're younger, you're playing sports where you like in the backyard doing that play by play type of thing. Yeah, that's ab- something that absolutely. You did? I remember my first like micro cassette recorder and I <laughs> actually brought it out. I remember to, to like a couple of high school events and, and we're doing it out there. Uh, and then when I went to see you and I went to Boulder, I was doing it there too. Like, uh-huh. I knew pretty much early on that that's what I wanted to do was was broadcast news. So. Now, what do you think made you good at that? Like, where people say, "Jay, do the play by play." I mean, we're... I, I just I guess I kind of knew because I would watch college football. Like, some of my biggest influences at the beginning were like 
guys called Frank Broyles and Keith Jackson. Oh, Keith, yeah. of course, did the play-by-play, and Frank had that thick Southern accent. Yeah. And, you know, I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area, so that, that was like a, another country, another culture. Yeah. And, um, but I would sit around on a Saturday and just watch college football all day. And yeah. I was more enthralled, I think, with the broadcasters. Yeah. Or like Al Michaels doing the, the USA hockey or you know, yeah. things like that. I mean, I was as much into the broadcasters as I was the games. And I, yeah. I think that's when I knew early on, hey, I could do that. Yeah, you know, what, obviously not as well, but I could. Do what that. about it made made you interested? Like, like listening. I mean, because they are these personalities, and and they do. I mean, there are some iconic people out there. You mentioned Al Michaels and Keith Jackson. Yeah. You have Harry Carey. You have, you know, these guys like out Marv there. Albert. Marv Albert. Guys, yeah. I mean, it's just unbelievable, and and they really, it's 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 just part of the experience. Yeah, and I didn't even know this till after he retired, and I, I'm always haunted by this, but my grandfather, turned out he was a fraternity brother and friend of Mel Allen, who is about as big of a sportscaster in American history as you could get, and Mel was the uh, the play-by-play guy in college. They went to the University of Alabama together, and uh, my grandpa tells me this like 10 years after Mel Allen retires, you know, and I'm like, how about, how about a little help, yeah. you know, how about helping out your grandson? Yeah. So, but Mel Allen was huge, and... Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the guys like that, I, I just kind of knew from watching it, and then when I knew early on that there was no way I was going to go to the next level as an athlete, that being a part of sports and, and really being part of the story or helping to tell the story, I mean, yeah. you know, the guys that are really good at it can enhance it and, and, be, and make it better. Give us just a, if you'll please indulge, just maybe just a kind of a medley of, of, of some of these guys, maybe... Uh... Well, I can't do impressions of some of the guys, but like uh, going back to Frank Broyles and Keith yeah. Jackson, I uh-huh. remember it would be like uh, Michigan, Alabama or something, yeah. and I'd be sitting on my couch, it'd be like 11 years old or something, and then they'd be like, uh, oh, Michigan's going to come up with Alabama, Alabama on the line of scrimmage. They're going to give it to Jenkins. He runs right. He doesn't make it. I don't believe it. <laughs> Michigan must have smiled when they came out in the running formation. Then Frank Brewers would be like, now you said that, Keith. I didn't. <laughs> now look at Hammerstein 77. He's going to use his hands, throw him like a rag doll, and make the tackle. You can't coach that sort of size. <laughs> I mean, like. I used to love that it, stuff. It, it, it's, so, it's, it's so much part of the, the experience. I yeah, mean, I mean, Frank Brewers could literally announce like a fullback plunge up the middle. Like he, yeah. he could, he could, he could make a story out of the most mundane play. And, and yeah, yeah, that was just like a gift. Yeah. What's interesting to me is, is when they do, um, when you hear like the, the weekend highlights, a lot of times they'll use the radio announcers for those highlights. And a lot of times, I mean, you know, no knock on some of these, some of these talented like TV guys, but we'll turn the TV sound down and listen to the radio announcers um because i don't know they just had they 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 were just such good storytellers they could just paint that picture so well what's what's your experience what's your thoughts on that well it's kind of two things with with the radio side it's it's yes we get to paint the story it's a much more i guess intimate setting and and um but it also has that Radio guys tend to have more of the uh, reputation of, of being a homer or uh-huh. or being a sure. fan along with the broadcast. I mean, you listen to some of these like, NFL guys, and it, it's like their their wife just had triplets every time their team <laughs> scores a touchdown. So there is some of that. So I get a lot of that from the DU hockey fans. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, I wish you were doing the game yeah. and everything. Because there's definitely more of an element of, hey, I'm on your side. Okay. Um, in fact, uh, most of the time that I've gotten in, 
in trouble or have had, uh, you know, uh, people upset with me is when I've tried to be a little more objective or a little more uh, honest about, you know, hey, the, this guy's playing badly or the yeah, team's right. playing badly or uh, did anybody on the Pioneers show up this weekend? Or, you know, that's where you get in trouble because uh-huh. um, they're expecting you to be like, hey, you're also the number one fan. Right. You were fortunate enough to be part of the 2004-2005 seasons and going back and listening to your commentary on just, you know, the the, the final, you know, the 2004 in particular, just because it was, what, six on three at one point? The six last... on three to for basically the last minute and a half of the game. And, and to this day, I've never seen a game end that way, much less a season, you know, and it'll probably still go down as... Uh, the most intriguing and, and perhaps greatest ending of any hockey game. And, and it was just as intriguing, I'm sure, to the University of Maine, because to this day, I'm sure they're like, how did we not possibly score? How did we? And then, and then just, you know, when you hear like posed, you know, pie, you know, shot wide, whatever. I mean, and, and, and my regret on that moment is even though it, it sounds good, I, I had virtually lost my voice. I had like beyond <laughs> laryngitis, which was a combination of, you know, it was the the Frozen Four, and Denver had played a dramatic uh, victory over Duluth with a huge comeback in the third period uh, just to gain a berth in that game. And then there were many events around the Boston area for the media that uh, I became involved <laughs> with. Um, and I actually went to a dueling piano bar. Yes. And tried to, you know how you try to sing over the guys? Yeah. You know, and so between all of that, I had no voice for that yeah. game. So it sounds more dramatic at the end, and yet... I wish I had a little bit more to give. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, just as a broadcaster, you can't you can't paint a better picture than for the first time in 35 years, and your team wins in that fashion. Yeah. I mean, there's just I, I can't imagine a, a better ending. Walk us through that. Um, you know, you're on the radio. You have these listeners, and you need to describe what's going on on the ice. And there is there is a lot of drama. I mean, how what's your process? How do you go about um, making sure that the audience can see what you're seeing. Uh, you know, it, it's it, it's kind of strange too. On a lot of the home games or all the home games, and then selective road games like like in the Frozen Four. You know, I'll have a color commentator. So Charlie Host was my color commentator. So you you lean on them a lot for uh-huh. the for the details or um, you know uh, describing goals or penalties or things. But as okay. the, as the puck's moving, yeah, you're really just trying to paint the picture of here's this incredibly desperate situation. Like uh-huh. you're, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's Normandy beach or it's, <laughs> it's Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid against, yeah. you know, the entire, uh, Honduras army or wherever <laughs> they were, you know, it's like, it's, so you try to paint that. And yeah. Is right. there exaggeration? Uh, absolutely. Sure. But, um, you know, that that's going back to a guy like Vince Scully. I mean, uh-huh. Vince Scully can describe the weather and the environment and the atmosphere. And, and yeah, you really do feel like you're there. I mean, I'm, I'm nor as most people at that level, but uh-huh. yeah, you, you do get to be the eyes and ears uh-huh. for the listener. What, what's that like? So you, you know, you're doing the play by play, you have the color commentator. Um, and I'm sure you get into, in, into a mix and, and you've been, I mean that for 16 years, right. Right. Doing this. So, I mean, you just know, you just have that sense of the give and take that happens. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. I mean, it, it's rare that you step step over each other, and especially in, in radio play-by-play because the other guy can't be talking when you're trying to describe a goal. 
Um, and you know, and you also get to learn a little bit more about the effectiveness of, of dead air or the effectiveness uh-huh. oh, of, sure. of just natural sounds. So like when a team scores a goal, you know, I've learned over the years, Hey, you give it five to 10 seconds yeah. just to let the, the crowd noise going crazy at home for a goal. Yeah. You know, you don't have to say anything. Uh-huh. And then, you know, the color guy will come in and describe the action. Okay. Um, it doesn't happen as much on the road, but still, same thing. You you want to you wanna give it time to breathe. And yeah. that's the hardest thing to learn is at first you want to say something every second to fill everything. But you, but you learn that um, sometimes just letting the puck and the ice mic pick up what's going on is uh-huh. as effective as you actually describing it. Wow, that's great. I like that. Now... I, I've known you for a little while, Jay, and and uh, you've done some improv in your past. How does you know that that whole in, what got you into improv, and then how has that served you as a sportscaster? Well, for better or for worse, um, I've never ever been able to, um, you know, pull myself away from comedy or acting. Yeah. Like um, it, I've always had comedy, acting, and sportscasting as one big soup, yeah. and. Uh, and sometimes that's to my detriment on, on both fields. You know, yeah. it's, it's kind of like, okay, pick a lane. Which one do you want to be? But I, even at 47, I haven't picked a lane, and I don't think <laughs> I'll ever will. Um, but, no, I, I, you know, I've obviously done a lot of, you know, local acting, and I did a ton in, in high school. I did musicals and, and things like that. I've never lost that bug. Yeah. Um, you know, my aunt was a, a big-time Hollywood writer, uh, wrote the film Fool's Rush In, oh, wow. was the uh, the main writer on Flashdance, uh, used to do One Day at a Time, you know, big, big-time stuff. Oh, and great. So I always had it kind of in my blood. And uh-huh. um, But, yeah, comedy and improv, when, when you're there live, yeah. you know, and, and we did it at the Bovine Metropolis, uh-huh. you know, downtown with – you know, Eric Mather and, yeah. and Jason Rodofsky and <laughs> Michelle and, and all these people that have gone on to, mm-hmm. to much bigger things. And yeah, I mean, it, you learn how to work as a team. Um, yeah. You learn how it's it's not about the joke. It's about the situation and, and how you react to a situation. And and now it's become here 15, 20 years later, you know, everyone's knows the secrets of improv you know right. corporations yes practice it yes um, and, and all yeah that. yes and and you, you see the commercials on tv that are making fun of of uh all these people so yeah we kind of learned that early on yeah. and um I, I i think i love the team concept it, uh-huh. it's one of the reasons why i love being part of the du hockey team is that and why i don't do stand-up and i like doing improv is that i love being part of a team and yeah. and the camaraderie that comes with that yeah. And, uh, yeah, so the comedy improv thing is, is just, I think, just something, uh, the cast of characters in my head that always have to find a way to have a voice. Right. There you go. You got a nice outlet for it. Um, talk about, like, uh, you also do, uh, along with the play-by-play, you also interview the coach after the game and interview the players and, 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 and things like that. How do you determine what you're going to ask them? I mean, obviously, there's the obvious questions, but do you, what's your process as far as interviewing? Well, and again, going back to that comedy and improv background, um, you know, when I first started in college hockey and, and, and what I didn't realize was when I started, when I got the gig was that how different college hockey from NHL hockey was. And I had only really known NHL hockey. Uh-huh. Um, so I used to script questions. I used to script my intro to every uh, radio show. And then what I, I came to realize pretty much by year two or three was that it always sounded much better, even uh-huh. if I stepped over a few lines. Yeah, saying as it as it just came to me. Okay, rather than scripting it. Now, 
you know, you have the game notes that the media provides. You've got bullet points you've prepared so that you've got a whole handful of these. Um, college hockey is unique because you always have that back-to-back game Friday and Saturday night um, yeah. until you get to the playoffs. And so, you know, the second night, you're essentially just talking about what happened the first night and reacting to that. The first night is the much harder interview uh-huh. because you're really just talking in hypotheticals. Okay. And, you sure. know, um, and the coach gets as sick of hearing the same <laughs> questions as you get of saying them. Uh-huh. Uh, we had a great pregame interview the other day where Coach Jim Montgomery, who is just such a funny and painfully honest, honest guy to me, and is like, gosh, Jay, your questions are so redundant. You know, and <laughs> he, he was right. I mean, I couldn't argue with it. You know, it's just it, – look, the power play is horrible. How are we going to do better about the power play? Um, or <laughs> you've won eight in a row. Why are you so good? You right. know, it, it, it does good or bad. It gets incredibly redundant. So yeah, yeah you, you try to be a little controversial. You try to be a little more exciting, but at the end it works way better when you react to something uh-huh. like again, the improv thing uh-huh. than it is to come in with some sort of a set question. Yeah. So interesting, um, uh, game the other night, at Coors Field, what, yeah. What was that? What was that like to be? And they Surreal. called it what, the Battle on Blake Street, or yeah, the Battle on Blake Street. And 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 so you're you're sitting there in a different type of environment, and there are thirty five thousand plus there. Um, what did that feel like? Did that change the way you approach things? Or oh yeah, I mean, you always like to say, hey, it's just another game. Yeah. Uh, the one positive that that I had going for me and, and my my co-host, the the longtime legendary. Uh, Colorado hockey announcer Norm Jones, uh-huh. um, who's been announcing hockey games since there were fish under the lake. I mean, he's done everything, <laughs> you know, and I lean on Norm a lot. But, um, yeah, we're both sitting there behind home plate, you wow. know, where the Rockies announcers do the games. And, uh, by the way, it was probably the worst viewpoint I've ever had for a broadcast in my life. I mean, the puck looked like a BB, yeah. you know, I mean, because they set it up. Uh, outside of of the pitcher's mound, uh-huh. um, because you know, God forbid, they try to affect the Rockies' pitchers, um, <laughs> and they move it all the way out to you know past second base. So yeah. I mean, really, I, I mean, I could barely see the puck. Uh-huh. Um, but you're sitting there, yeah, with thirty five thousand people outside. The windows are open. You uh-huh. can feel the actual chill of the air, and you're announcing a hockey game. And it, yeah. and uh, every time the Pioneers scored a goal, it was like someone hit a home run in a Rockies game. It yeah. was it was just an amazing experience. And and you know, it's something a lot of people don't do. And I I truly felt humbled just for being able to do the game, just like I did for the national championship games. I mean, I'm no more deserving than anybody else to have yeah. you know the teams, you know. Or just being a part of a great program, you get opportunities like that. Well, you know, part of what I do with with be story driven is talk about um, who's your audience, what's the setting, what's the environment, and how does that affect the way you the, the way you present. So, so you're saying this is this that that had a that had a big impact on you. How did you how did you adjust from going like inside of an arena to going out, or did you? figure it out as you got well, there. No, I mean, it, and it definitely had another effect on me. And, and that was that I knew they were piping in the radio broadcast throughout the concourse and the restrooms. Cause my friends would text me when they were in the restroom. <laughs> That's great. Um, and so that kind of changed it as well, because yeah. then you really are, you know, trying to stay true to the, you know, painting the picture and uh-huh. constantly telling the score and the time and, and letting everybody know. And, and of course I, I was trying not to make, every baseball reference known to man during the broadcast or, or, you know, 
going to my Harry Carey or right. some sort of impression, which you want to do because yeah. you, you're sitting there and you're going, and yet you can't help it. I mean, you just can't help yourself. I mean, every time the puck would go somewhere, you're like, that's towards the right field line or right. landed on second base. Give or, us a little, give us a little Harry Carey if if he were doing that DU. Well, fortunately, game. I didn't have to, but yeah, I mean, Harry, Harry would have been just like, hi everybody, we're out here at Mile High Stadium. As the pioneers take on the CC Tigers, and I'm glad I brought a jacket. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you want to be, you yeah. want to be hairy. But no, yeah. I mean, it was, it was truly a, you know, you're trying not to make baseball references. I made yeah. one seventh inning stretch reference, yeah. you know, which I had to do. But uh, you know, once you get into about the second period, you know, yeah. just like the teams, I think you, you calm down and it becomes a hockey game. Yeah. But the first five minutes or so you know you just got your deer in the headlights sort of thing going <laughs> using using some of the things that you do in in sports casting if you could talk to um you know a, a, a business professional someone who's leading a meeting someone who is um giving a presentation some what would be some things that you would what would be some things that might transfer like from what you would do some advice Boy, so, so much of it has just come from many many years of failing of, of, of <laughs> Doing things. And fortunately, I've had many people to let me know about my failures. Yeah. And so that's been helpful. Um, and, and I'm just, you know, using general things. You did, like I said before, you know, you learn the importance of, of times when it's better not to talk. Uh-huh. Um, but also, you know, you know, you learn that, especially in my case, when it's good to try to be entertaining or funny, whether you uh-huh. are or not, and, and yeah. when that is detrimental to what's going on, uh-huh. you know, to know the difference between you're doing a six, nothing game in the middle of Anchorage, Alaska, and it's midnight back in Denver. And, you know, I'm going to throw out some material now <laughs> versus, you know, it's three, three in a five minute game against Colorado college. I mean, uh-huh. you, it, you just have to know the moment better. So yeah. I guess to, 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 you know, to answer your question, I would say to business people, yeah, I guess know your audience. Yeah. Um, but also be yourself. Yeah. Um, when I started, so many people try to say, be this or be that. And, uh-huh the end of the day if you're not yourself you'll never be any good yeah um because you truly have to be yourself but that's not to say you can't learn and adjust your style uh, based on that and and i i was i failed on that for so many years because i always went for the joke and i always went for trying to be entertaining or witty when so often it didn't call for that Uh and yet on the other side i would be overly dramatic on some you know, game in the middle of Mankato in November, <laughs> thinking that, you know, some team had just won or lost game seven of the Stanley Cup. So yeah. it can work both ways. Yeah. And so for a business uh, person doing a meeting, it's the same thing. It's like, yeah, you're going to have some of your prepared material, but mm-hmm. also be prepared to adjust to the audience and of the situation. You know, yeah. if you come in there just talking about numbers and stats, you're probably just going to put people to sleep. Sure. Okay. So there's the information and there's also just making it engaging and, and, and you're saying like from your experience, and this really does parallel improv, but, but stay in the moment. Don't really have too many preconceived notions. Um, get in there and just in, in, engage with, with the person you're interviewing or. You yeah. Know. I mean, for better, or for worse, you know, and, yeah. and, and just like all of us, you have good days of doing that and, and days where nothing really comes to you and yeah. you could have 111 cups of coffee and nothing's <laughs> clicking, you know, but um, I, I heard something great from one of the players, uh, parents, a Canadian parent, and this was just a couple years ago, maybe, maybe four years ago. And they said to me, they said, they said, Jay, how, how come, you know, you American broadcasters focus so much on stats, uh-huh. you know, uh, like, um, 
and this is from a Canadian hockey parent slash fan. So, uh-huh. you know, I always know whatever they're saying is a thousand times more than I know anyway. I just go <laughs> off that. There's no argument. And, and it's true. I mean, I only come from my perspective. And so, and it's true. We, we have a tendency to just dig into these stats and, and, and be like, oh, they're this on the power play. And uh-huh. so this is, this is a huge direction instead of just looking at more general things of, you know, why a player is playing that way or uh-huh. whatever. But we, we as broadcasters, just like business people or sure. anybody else uh-huh. get so into the analytics or statistics of things and try to draw the conclusions based simply on that instead of just saying, and now this is where I've tried to adjust and say, look, these are three or four really big deals. I'm yeah. going to focus on these uh-huh. and that's going to hit with the listener yeah. rather than trying to put 73 stats in their face. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that includes in the post game. Uh-huh. I mean, I rarely say anything in the post game other than three or four of the big stats. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure other broadcasters think it's better to let the, let them know every single thing. Uh-huh. I thought it was great advice. Cause I yeah. was like, yeah, I mean, we just focus on that so much. Uh-huh. Well, you and I, and I did. Uh, you do have a quote here where you said, "When I'm on the air, I just pretend uh, that I know what I'm talking about." Now I know you're being a little, you know, be, being a little funny there, but I mean, what, 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 what? Where's the truth in that for for you? Well, I think in the first year, yeah, there was a lot of truth in that. <laughs> um, I leaned on uh, my color guy was also in his first year as a as a radio guy, and that was Charlie Host, and and uh, and. It was so true. I leaned on him so much for the rules of college hockey and and for the you know the little sayings and and everything that and and yeah, I mean I I think you know fake it till you make it is yeah. is, is always a, a great expression and <laughs> I knew I had the passion. Yeah. I, I knew had the I had the ability to someday be good. Uh-huh. But the first year or two, I mean, yeah, I mean, I was I was really flying by the seat of my pants. Yeah, um, and it really took till about year three or four till I actually knew what I was doing. And yeah. to this day, yeah, I mean, people call me up now, like, and I'm the hockey expert, yeah. you know, and it's crazy. I can't even skate backwards. <laughs> when I was given the gig back then, the the guy who hired me actually said, you know, we want you to be like Dennis Miller. Yeah. And so, you know, to put that comedy improv thing together, sure. Dennis Miller, you know, I just gotten the color commentary gig at um, Monday night football. Right. Oh, and so right. at that yeah. exact yeah. moment, that was my time where I was given the gig. They're like, we want some, we, guy we who want has somebody to entertainment. I mean, think okay. about this market. I mean, you've got yeah. four major teams mm-hmm. and, and, you know, major colleges uh, surrounding DU yep. and yeah, you're, you're being surrounded. So why not be entertaining? You yeah. know, why not get people's attention? Right. But again, it took me many years to learn when to be part of that uh-huh. and when to back off of that. Right. And I probably still fail, but as yeah. far as I know, I'm damn good. <laughs> Well, they've kept you around for a while. Exactly. Sure. I'm cheap too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, give me like just just some a quick couple quick little snippets about um, as far as like when you see on the schedule you're going to this city. Which ones do you like going to, and which ones are like, oh man? Well, I'll, I'll get you. Let you know a little secret. They're all cold. They're all very very cold. <laughs> yeah. Um, my next sportscasting gig, I will be the surfing broadcaster yeah. uh, for uh, in Bali, Bali and Hawaii, but. <laughs> Um, it's funny. Some of these towns, um, you know, are really small. You never heard of them, but they're turned out to be great college towns. Uh Um, some of them are beyond cold and not very good towns at all, but they're incredible hockey schools. Uh Um, 
I, I still like going to the big cities. Like I used to kid around that my favorite places were always the direct flights. I, you know, cause usually in college hockey, it's, it's a couple of connections. It's a long bus ride, it's, yeah. you know, whatever. But so yeah, the, the major cities for years, I like going to Boston. Yeah. Uh, I love going to Minneapolis. Uh-huh. Um, my favorite college town is probably Madison, Wisconsin. Okay. Cause, uh, DU and Wisconsin were in the same conference forever. Yeah. Um, so I used That's to love going to Madison. Uh, we went there this year. Um, and then, and then smaller schools that people don't really know about that are great college towns, like St. Cloud, uh-huh. Minnesota is a great college town. Yeah. Um, other ones on the top of my head that that kind of come and go. Uh, you look at some place like Grand Forks, North Dakota. Yeah. Horrible town. I would never <laughs> want to be in Grand Forks, North Dakota for seven months of the year. You know, horrible. But you know what? They have an arena that is like the Ritz-Carlton of arenas, right? Yeah. I mean, it's better than anything in the NHL. <laughs> And they fill that arena, and it is it is like a like I said like a Super Bowl environment every time you play there. So yeah, I, I don't like being in the town in February. Yeah, but when you go to the arena, and sometimes with a police escort, it, <laughs> it is big time when you go in there. So yeah. I mean, yeah. So sometimes it's it's a great town. Yeah. Um, obviously, Boston is just you know, great food, great sure. everything. Oh yeah, yeah. Now um, you have done some other work here in town. Um, if you want to call it that? Yeah. yeah. So uh, I try to do things that aren't called work. <laughs> yes. So uh, for for the listeners in Denver, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Rocky's Auto, and there was a character in these commercials called the Shag Man. And for a while, you were the Shag Man. What was what was that like? Wow. I mean, it's uh, that was you know 17 years ago, 16 years ago. Um, <laughs> I guess there was some sort of contract dispute with the existing original Rocky and they did auditions and uh, I, I got the gig and um, it was right at the peak of their popularity. Uh-huh. They, they were running probably 4 trillion TV and radio oh, commercials. They did t- and, a ton of commercials. But you learned, uh, and I love doing the the TV commercials as, as campy as they were and uh-huh. everything. Um, you know, I became very good friends with Audra who's still doing it and, and right. Officer Odell and, <laughs> and, um, but what you learn very quickly is the power of television because everywhere I went in town or in the state for about two years, um, people either loved you or hated you for no apparent reason. Um, I couldn't wear a baseball (laughs) hat. I, even to this day, I barely wear a baseball hat. Um, but I think the thing that I'll always remember about that, um, were the public appearances. Uh We always went wherever there was dirt. (laughs) It didn't matter where it was. Uh, as long as there was some dirt world's yeah. biggest ball of yeah. mud contest <laughs> that's and, where you'd set up shop it, yeah and then um the kind of the scary thing was like people would line up at uh-huh. like the adams county fair yeah and they'd have their kids in 104 degree weather for two hours so oh that all of us could sign a t-shirt or a hat that we were giving out for free <laughs> and you're just thinking this is one of the signs of the apocalypse <laughs> you know and and i'm just this bad actor yeah you know and 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 just the power of it was just yeah. amazing. Just being a personality, being on TV. And yet there hasn't been a day where I missed it. You yeah. know, so that's what I knew when, when the DU hockey thing was coming up and yeah. I was probably DU's ninth or 10th choice. And I, I might be very generous about that. Um, <laughs> but when I was given that opportunity, it, it was really such a no brainer decision for me. Yeah. Uh, and people ask me, Hey, do, do you miss that sort of fame? Obviously it was very well compensated and it was yeah. just like, no, I guess I can see why these guys don't want to be Batman 25 <laughs> times or whatever. Because right. it's not about you. It's all about the guy in the hat. Yeah. So, and yeah. You, you described it as um, 
being a really bad rock star. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, a really bad rock star. <laughs> Um, but no, it was, it was strange. It was like your main demo were like kids under the age of nine or, or, yeah. or women over 300 pounds. Yeah. I mean, those were the two groups that I was very successful with. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, in addition to doing the sports casting, you also are a realtor here mm-hmm. in Denver and, um, talk about that a little bit, that, that experience, what that oh, like. definitely the improv comes in with real estate, yeah. um, and the comedy because sure. you know, with real estate, I mean, there's so many times you wake up and you want to just throw yourself into traffic. <laughs> um, because it's just, I mean, real estate just brings out the very, very weirdest and worst in people. Uh-huh. I mean, people that are the most, you know, normal, balanced humans yep. when it comes to buying or selling a they home get, or property. They get very emotional about Something that just snaps. And, and you're like, you know, Father uh, Jenkins, you can put the gun down. Yeah. I mean, it's just just a condo. Um, yeah. So you need that. You need that. Because, it, it, you know, it's such a, an up and down roller coaster. Sure. And, um, you know, one of the things I do like about it though, is that, you know, you, you get to talk to people, you get to hang out with people. Um, sometimes you hang out with them for a very, very long time and yeah, you do develop those relationships with Uh it, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's, it's a great gig too, um, because it's always given me that freedom Uh to do the broadcasting, to do the other side stuff that, uh, you know, that I love to do and, and not having that you know, eight to six boss, you know, asking you, where oh, are you? Yep. Um, and, and real estates fit that well. My mom owned a Remax. So, uh, my stepbrother owned a Windermere. So it's like, it's always kind of been in the family. Yeah. I was just kind of the last one to get into it. So, right. Yeah. Right. What else here, man? We've known each other for a long time. And, uh, just that, that, that whole improv and that, that community feel. And I think, you know, we all know from, from going to all this stuff around town. I mean, there are so many talented people in Colorado yeah. and in Denver. And if we just weren't so addicted to living here, we could actually go out and make our way in the world. <laughs> well, it'd help if they, uh, you know, I know they've tried to incentivize uh, production here for a while. And it's just, I think Quentin Tarantino came in and took all the incentive money and left town the next day. Yeah. So no, it, that's been, that was one of the differences too. When I first came to town, they had all these TV shows. Like I started yeah. out as an extra on Diagnosis Murder with <laughs> Dick Van Dyke and Scott Bayo And, and then I went, you know, Father Dowling and all these yeah. other shows that were in town. Yep. And then they all went up to Canada and then yep. eventually now they're all in Albuquerque and yep. uh, New Mexico. But it'd be nice to see if, if Denver could get more stuff. It back. would be. It would be great. Take some of that marijuana money, which yeah. let's be honest, that that goes perfectly with the artistic community. Exactly. I mean, it's take some of that money and collaboration, and go yep. to film and television. The synergy there. Yeah. Did you, so did you actually meet Dick Van Dyke? Oh, it was great. I mean, I, I, you know, as you know, there's so many takes and there's so much downtime. And, yeah. Um, I had seen Dick Van Dyke, um, in um the music man my uh-huh. parents took me in san francisco and and at a theater and yeah. i'm probably 12 or 13 years old and so i'm telling dick this and he's telling me you know ask me which theater which of course i had no idea and he would tap dance between every take and he still you know could really? just tap. i mean he's one of those multi-talented guys that just aren't around anymore you know, yeah the, the sing dance yeah. act guys right and here was Dick Van Dyke and, you know, his son was the, the other co-star. So he was so happy. It's a family thing. And oh, crazy. But just to see a guy like that, he was just so down to earth. Scott Bayo, that was not my experience. Scott Bayo would <laughs> get in the van, go really? right back to the hotel, you know. So Scott, Scott He's was kind of on, prima donna. Yeah. To go to his trailer. And... Yeah. Scott was on the other side of it. And yeah. uh, he was more the you know, the child actor from Happy Days and all yeah. that. But yeah, my experience with Scott was not like that. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> And then kind of coincidentally, the father Dowling was 
Tom Bosley, right? From Happy Days too. From Happy Days as well. And yeah. Did you meet him? No, no. I, I never. Uh, the day I shot, he was he was not on the set. And, yeah. You know, you, when you're an extra, you know, you're you're there for like 14 hours. Oh my god. And you're yes. wearing four different outfits. Right. So you're you're the patient, and you're the doctor, and then yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> you learn a lot, though. You learn a lot. <laughs> I also want to ask the. Um... The movie Slapshot, one of my all-time favorites. They paint a pretty accurate picture of... Oh, it's amazing. I mean, of one of the things that a lot of people don't know about that movie is that it was written by a woman. Uh-huh. And very few people know that. The, I didn't know that. It was a woman. It was the wife of, of one of the referees. Okay. And the referee just kept coming back with so many stories that had happened on oh, the and ice. Oh, she just transcribed And she's stories. like, oh, this has got to be a movie, or that did not happen. And uh, yeah, and then they, um, I actually met one of George Gwazdecki's best friends in, in high school in Thunder Bay. Um, or even be lower than high school. Um, the guy whose character is supposed to be uh, Ogie Oglethorpe, uh-huh. the guy yeah. who you know uh, gets out of prison to play in the big final <laughs> game. I met him. He actually spoke to the hockey team a few times. Great guy. But oh I remember, um, yeah, just uh, an incredibly uh, uh, charismatic and yet scary individual. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he and he gave the you know he gave the team. We all got uh, you know. Uh, t-shirts of his playing days and he had the you know the big hair like yeah. Ogie Oglethorpe right. had and but yeah I think they did an amazing job college hockey so different though college hockey you're not going to see the fighting um, every yeah. few years you'll get a few fights yeah but you get kicked out of that game and the next game oh okay um, and so uh, yeah years ago there were quite a few yeah um, but you don't see much anymore yeah you just okay. don't yeah that's pretty good incentive to not get in a fight plus everyone is wearing the cage everyone's yeah. wearing the full cage sure. yeah. so it, it hurts if you hit someone <laughs> who's wearing the full cage Right. Make sure they have the helmet off before you hit them. <laughs> I hope they coach that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's good for the in the in the professional setting as well. Or don't right? take off your glove until yeah. they take off. The See, mask. that's what I yeah, never mm-hmm. understood. Yeah. Um how's this crew? I mean, what's the culture like in the locker room and this this team? Oh, they're they're great. Can I you, mean can you tell I mean throughout the years, I mean that two thousand four, two thousand five, what what tells you that you got a special it was it's totally team? different. Like that the team that won in the two thousand three, two thousand four season, um, I was in my first year when they were freshmen. Uh-huh. So I, I kind of came in with those guys. And, yeah. and they were just, for lack of a better term, I mean, they were kind of the animal house of college hockey. In fact, that's how I thought college hockey was. Uh-huh. Going back to like Slapshot. Yeah. You know, th- these guys were, were just the, you know, the outlaws, just the, the everything's about fun. And, and somehow they pulled it together their senior yeah. year and, and won a national title. Wow. Um, and, and they just, uh, you know, tons of character on that team. Yeah. I mean, just characters i mean yeah. just guys that just you know that they, they deserve their own sitcom just about every one of them yeah. you know but then as the years went on you had uh du started getting more and more high uh, high round draft picks uh-huh. so these guys tend to be you know much more conservative and and preparing for their nhl careers okay. so you didn't see a lot of that interesting um and then you always have a blend of guys that are walk-ons that that can be really really top academic yeah um uh, uh hockey players because uh you know du is a very good academic school so you yeah. got you got that blend too right um so yeah it, it, it's quite the mix but um yeah locker rooms will definitely vary year in and year yeah. out but i've never seen a locker room uh, that i've been privy to that that seemed like anybody ever quit on the team yeah or um when things were bad somebody you know quit on somebody else sure. i mean the the amount of bonding and camaraderie all these guys have, yeah, you know, and I'm sure it's like that for a lot of other teams. I mean, it's yeah. pretty amazing how str- uh, how how bonded these guys are. What about leadership now? I mean, as far as um, you know, leading a team like with with Jim Montgomery or Gwazdecki and and and, and then your experience because you do have a sales background as well. Um, 
<clears throat> as far as like what what do you see as these commonalities in these leaders? Boy, I mean, leadership styles. The one commonality I think is is the, they're always very confident people. Uh-huh. They, um, whether they have moments of self doubt, I'm sure they do, but uh-huh. they're incredibly confident. They're very consistent uh-huh. with their message. Um, uh-huh. And um, and the other thing about it is, I think that the ones that are really good um, aren't afraid to. Um, you know, not be popular. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. You know, to, to be like, look, I don't really care that you don't like me for this decision. I'm making this on two fronts. One to make you a better player. Uh-huh. Um, and, and number two for the overall success of the team. Uh-huh. And I think the, the two head coaches that I've been a part of or the ones that I've watched afar all have that in common. And in any experience that, that fr- from like leaders that you've had outside, like in oh, the, I've like had so many bad sales managers, and yet I've had so many good sales managers. Yeah, you know, um, and, and again, sometimes it's circumstances. Sometimes yeah. you know you're just with, with a you're, you're selling a product. Um, I was with radio and TV advertising for years, and you're with a station that is just killing it right now. Yeah. Or or you or you have something going for you, and you're on top of the world. Uh-huh. Um, and other times you're on the other end, and and you're just you know, trying to pedal dog poop and, uh, <laughs> no matter how many speeches and meetings and, and graphs and everything they do for you, it's not going to help. Yeah. So, um, yeah. you know, I've been on both sides of it. Um, but yeah, most sales managers know that, you know, like coaches, there's a time to get on top of you uh-huh. and, and there's a time, yeah. um, to let you, let you do your own thing. And, yeah. and there's a time to let you know you're doing a good job. Yeah. You know, I think if, if you're just going to be coming down on people, uh-huh. you'll never be good. Yeah. Um, or, or on the opposite. I think you have to know when to come down and, and know when to, uh, you know, lift them up. Yeah. Yeah. And that's an art. I mean, it sounds yeah. so easy, but uh-huh. you know, every person is different and in a sales situation, yeah, there's some people you'll get down on and you'll crush them and they'll be in a fetal position and they, <laughs> and they're, and they're, and they're working at Dairy Queen the next week, Yeah, you know, and then you'll have other people, you get down on them and you finally light a fire under them. Yeah. So, okay. So kind of goes back to that, knowing your audience that you were talking about, exactly. knowing how to motivate which type of, you know, different types of people. Yeah. You know, and, and again, and then, and that part does go with sports as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, this has been great, Jay. I appreciate you coming in today and, uh, hey, a free lunch is do, a free lunch, doing so. the, uh, story driven podcast. <laughs> we'll go grab some lunch right now after you help me wrap up all this audio gear. Of course. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but, but if you'll just indulge me, maybe do like a, a sign off as if you were Harry Carey, um, you know, I'll do, I could do a Marv Albert. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Marv Albert. We haven't heard him. We haven't yeah. heard Marv yet. Yeah. All right. Okay, here we go. I would like to thank Michael Collins, along with his staff, Musabe Musaje Mohammed and Ernesto Silvestre Gonzalez, a former middleweight bantam champion out of the Philippines. For Marv Albert, along with Dennis Rodman and Victoria's Secret, good night from a studio in the depths of Denver. Excellent. Thank you, Jay. Thank you for listening to this story-driven podcast. Once again, I'd like to thank Shift Workspaces for providing us with this awesome venue to record in. And of course, my guest, Jay Stickney. You can hear Jay broadcast all University of Denver hockey games on Denver's sports radio stations, 103.4 The Fan or 1600 The Zone on your AM dial. If you're interested in B-Story-driven coaching for yourself or workshops for your team, please go to my website, bestorydriven.com, or email me at michael at bestorydriven.com. 
We use improv and acting techniques to help you connect to your message, to your team, and to your audience. If you like this podcast, please forward it along. Thanks again for listening.